Welcome to the Next of the Hub, the TV series hub podcast. Join us to explore the entertainment galaxy in this new feature made with love from fans and for fans. If you like debates, neck talks, and to be well informed about TV and film, this is the podcast for you. From Nerds to Nerds. I'm not your normal host, Kelsey, or Heaven, or Uber. Leanne and I hijacked the podcast because we want to bring y'all some horror. And we sent Kelsey, Uber, and Heaven chasing puppies, kittens, and baby llamas in a corn maze. Maybe they'll make it out by Thanksgiving. <laughs> Today, we are lucky enough to have Jeffrey Reddick, who, if, if the name kind of rings a bell, it's because he is the father of Final Destination. He is also, uh, this year, coming out pretty soon, The Final Wish, with Lynn Shay in it. And tons of other goodie that we're going to let y'all in on. But first, thank you very much for joining us, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Um, I now, hope they make it out of that corn, corn maze. <laughs> you know, I do too, considering they are scared of all things horror. I don't know what's going to jump out at them. But, I mean, I paid a lot of money for them to be scared. So <laughs> so they better be scared. <laughs> they better be scared. Now, one thing before we get into your films that I want to talk about that I don't think very many people know about is you were something of a child prodigy at age 14. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the term prodigy. I don't know if I was a prodigy, but I was very tenacious. Let me put it that way. But, you know, I, I grew up in eastern Kentucky. And when I was 14 years old, I saw the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which is still my favorite movie of all time. And um, I went home and I wrote an idea for a, a prequel to the first movie and uh, tracked down the production company. You know, back in the day, we didn't have the Internet or anything. So I had to call information in New York and tracked down the information for the production company and I mailed the story to Bob Shea who ran New Line Cinema so he sent it back to me because technically studios weren't supposed to read material unless they asked for it so he sent mm -hmm. it back to me and didn't read it and so I wrote him back you know kind of a little surly you know hillbilly email <laughs> saying look mister <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've spent three dollars on your movie so I think you could take five minutes to read my story and um, he did. He read the story and he, he got back to me and um, we started basically an, an email uh, relationship. And also his assistant, Joy Mann, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, but she stayed in touch with me. And, you know, from 14 to 19, while I was going to school in Kentucky, they would send me movie scripts and they would read my stuff and give me comments. Um, so they were very useful and very encouraging. And then when I was 19, I went to New York uh, to study acting for the summer and I got an internship at New Line uh, Cinema. So I ended up working there for 11 years. And that's the company that produced Final Destination. So it's a pretty funny, funny story. I'm, I'm looking back. I'm like, wow, I wish I still had I wish I still had that those balls that I did when I was 14. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You just didn't care back then. This is true. And I have to agree with you on some of your favorite films. Alien is one of mine. And to me, it was it was so well done. And I kind of like the fact that certain scenes um, like the chestburst scene that they weren't told about. And it's their oh, yeah. genuine reaction. Yeah, that was interesting. You know, you you, you re- always read how different directors get, you know, what their methods are. And, it, yeah, I, it was very interesting that he didn't he didn't prepare them for that scene at all. And so you definitely got a more genuine reaction from the actors in that scene. And it, I think it shows in their performances, too. Now, what made you you've got tons of producer and executive producer credits and writing credits. And a few acting credit. When are you going to direct? This year, or no, next. It's not. It's not 2019 yet. Next year, <laughs> I have a couple of projects I'm going to be directing. So um, I'm really, really excited about that. You know, it's something that I've. I didn't start off wanting to do when I started in this business, but you know, as you get more involved on films and you go on film sets and you, you know, watch people direct and you, you know, I direct. I've directed a short, so. So, yeah, so I'm planning on directing a couple of things in this upcoming year. Uh, One is going to be Good Samaritan, which is a feature version of a short that I directed that you can find it online. Google Good Samaritan Jeffrey Reddick, and you can find the short. But, yeah, we're doing a feature version of that. And, yeah, I've got a couple other things that I'm working on, too. I don't want to jinx anything, so um, I'll I'll keep you posted on the the other stuff. (laughs) Okay. I'll let you slide on that one. (laughs) Um, Now... One thing I want to talk about is the Final Destination movie and the fact that a wonderfully great actor that I'm I'm sure you loved working with, uh, Tony Todd. Yes, yes. He did four of them, and he didn't do the one with the race trend. Yeah, I love Tony Todd. He's a fr- he's a friend, and he um, he actually has a role in the Final Wish coming out early next year and um i've seen he did a one-man show here in new york that i saw and i've been a fan of his since everything i mean since i first saw him in in films but he's he's just such an amazing talented actor and he takes the craft so seriously you know he's classically trained and you know he he just really takes acting seriously and and i just hope i get fortunate enough to work with him on a lot because he's a great he's a great man now, the story that I heard, the reason that he didn't do Final Destination 4 was because he didn't believe in the story. Well, I'm not sure. It's so funny because I know Final Destination 4, you know, and, and I, I think all the films are, are, you know, really entertaining. I enjoy all of them. But, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know why he didn't do 4. I mean, 4, I know we kind of had to rush that out before the writers strike. Um, um, so okay. we didn't have, t- we didn't have the normal time that we had to, you know, work on the script for that one. So I know that that part four was, was kind of really rushed into production. Eric Brest, the writer's a really, really talented writer. Uh, but I know that we just had to rush that script. It was like one of those things where it's like the day the strike happened, you, you know, all the writers have to stop writing. So it, that script was really rushed out. So I don't know, that could have been part of it for sure. But I just know the fans always expect him to be... <laughs> be in the movies and i always wanted to be in the movies you know it's always interesting when you're also dealing with studios too to see what 
they think what they spark to as far as the movie goes. But as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I think all the fans are concerned, you know, you know, Tony Todd is kind of Final Destination. Like I most I just, definitely. Yeah, he's just such a part of the DNA of the project that he's so smooth. Yeah. He is just so smooth in everything he does. He's he's got that quiet confidence. Yeah. Well, he's been again. Yeah. He's he's trained and he's he's been around the business a long time, and he's just a good actor. And you know, I, I again, I hope I hope I get to work with him in a in a movie where he can really kind of show you know all facets of him because you know because he is so imposing and he has that voice. It's very easy to kind of like just make him the imposing, scary person. But you know, in in not, the Night of the Living Dead remake, I think he did a a great job in that. And look at that, he's just a really talented actor. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, one particular scene, the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Who came up with the bus? That, my original script, it was a subway, it was a subway scene where the the jock got hit by a subway train. So they changed it to a bus scene, which I actually, I think works really well. Yeah, I think that shock works really well. It gives the phrase I use, push him in front of a bus, a whole new meaning yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's i think that's that was definitely probably one of the most memorable scenes i know that um i i don't remember if it was the first time but i think it was one of the first times where they started using like test audience reactions um uh-huh. in the marketing because um yeah people just jumped out of their seat at that scene and so i know they filmed one of the test audiences and um you know, and put that in the marketing, you know, the movie after like the second week had been out, they started marketing it with that people jumping at that scene. Pretty practical, awesome. practical effects or CGI. Um, it was a, it was a mixture. It was a mixture of, um, you know, her stepping out onto, you know, the sidewalk and then they would do a plate where, she, you know, she wasn't there where the bus went by and they, they did have an actual shot of her body that they did practically laying on the ground, but they never, they never, I think you can find it online, but they never used it in the movie. It was, it was pretty gruesome, Um, but I think that they liked the shock impact of just the blood splattering on people. And I think they rightly so felt like if they cut back to the mangled body, it just kind of took away from the, you know what I'm saying? Like the initial just shock of that impact Mm -hmm. that people had. Oh, I'll have to look for that on my DVD. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think I saw. I definitely saw pictures of it online at one point, but I don't know if they had that on the DVD. Or- oh, it's it's awesome. What was it like for you to get to work with the zombie king himself, George Romero? Uh, well, the funny thing is, I didn't. I didn't get to work with him. I wish I had. I was actually brought on that project. Uh, the production company had already hired Steve Miner, and they already they already had a start date for when they were going to be filming. So they were meeting with writers really quick. And so I, I got hired. Um, and they didn't, Steve wasn't, or George Romero wasn't involved with that. So the funny thing is, like, I was nervous to meet him because I already knew that the fans were going to, even if we'd have remade the movie perfectly, I'd have still gotten killed for it. And the fact that it wasn't remade perfectly, <laughs> I still got killed for it. So, but I was nervous to meet George Romero. But um, I'm friends with Ken Foray from the original Dawn oh, of the Dead. He's- He's, he's awesome. Such, he's an amazing yeah. guy as well. So we were at a convention one time, and he literally, he's like, have you talked to George yet? I'm like, I'm afraid to meet George. And he literally dragged me <laughs> across the convention floor over to George <laughs> and was like, this guy did wrote Final Destination, and he wrote the Day of the Dead remake, and he, he's a huge fan, but he's been nervous to 
too, because and George was the most great. Like I literally such a I mean, he, he just took my hand. He's like, buddy, I've been in this business a long time. He goes, he goes, I don't hold anything against anybody. I don't. He goes, you know, I'm glad that you got a chance to write something. And he goes, and I hope the movie is a big success. And he was like so nice about it. Um, and everybody that talks about him kind of talked. Yeah, I wish I'd actually had a chance to work with him. I, I have heard such wonderful things about George Romero. I mean, yeah. he gave me, well, a little help, a little thanks to my parents. Um, when I was three, and I'm so dating like this, but I don't care. Nah, who cares? When I was, <laughs> when I was three, my parents couldn't find a babysitter. So they took me with them to see Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> that's awesome. I have been a horror fan ever since. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it, it's like I can I can quote lines from the movie when I watch it, and it's he had such a sense of this could happen, yeah. but also look at what's going on in our country right now. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, he kind of captured that perfectly with that movie. He he really, really did. And I think you did a great job on Day of the Dead. I I loved the reimagining of Bub because I have to say, in the original Day of the Dead, Bub was like my favorite character. It was so tender the way you treated him. Well we and and it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of it got lost in editing and rewriting and stuff like that. But I mean the whole concept behind that character and and again, they kind of cut a lot of the heart out of it was that George Romero clearly stated that these people, you know, once they turn, they still retained a part of who they were. That's why all the people that went to the mall all the time would go back to the mall and they were dressed up and, you know, how they, you know, they were still, there's a part of them that still maintained who they were. And mm-hmm. the idea that even though he turned, he was able to kind of fight against it for a little bit. And I, I added in, you know, which again, so it's better on paper than it may be execution that, that you know, he was a vegetarian before he turned. And it, so it wasn't that he wouldn't eat meat. It was just that was kind of that explained why he was able just to fight the urge a little bit longer than other people. But mm-hmm. they kind of they took they took some of the setup of that out earlier. And they also trimmed out a lot of his the fact that he really cared for Mina Savari's character. They cut out a lot of that stuff, too. So then it kind of turned into just Nick Cannon saying, oh, he's a vegetarian. And it was kind of like. Guys, it's a little more than that. It's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, like he's got to keep trying to eat her. Yeah, it's a little more than that. But yeah, then it turned into like the vegetarian zombie, which again, it's it, it's still fun. I mean, Stark Sands, who played him, is a is a really wonderful actor, and I think he brought a still you know he brought a lot of humanity to that role and a, just a lot of sweetness and you know just yeah made that character really kind of sweet. So you really felt for him when he when he bit got bit and turned. One thing I think that a lot of, I'm not going to say every horror fan because that's not true, but a lot of horror fans really don't appreciate these days is the story. The the story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like Leanne and I were talking yesterday, Rob Zombie's film, Halloween. It got panned so bad. But... He gave Michael a history. He gave Michael a story, a reason. And I appreciated that so much. And that's the one thing I I love so much about the things you write is you 
take the time to explore the characters and the reason that this is going to happen to them. You try to. And, you know, especially in horror, it's, it's hard when you you could because you'd really try and then a lot you know but there's always they always say there's the movie you wrote the movie that gets filmed and the movie that's edited and you know a lot of times it, the movie that you write ends up being a lot different than the movie that ends up coming out because especially in horror uh the first thing they want to do is cut any they just like let's get to the kill first let's get to the next kill let's get to the next kill so a lot of times they cut you know they cut the story or they cut the character stuff out or or you know even before they'll film it sometimes they'll be like oh we don't need this subplot about this so let's just cut this out so you know, it, it is a fight in horror films to find that balance between having a story, but also scaring people or getting under mm-hmm. their skin. You know, it depends on what type of, yeah. you know, some movies you're trying to like make and other ones you're just trying to, to make them think and creep them out. And, you know, so each movie is its own animal, but definitely try to write characters at least that actors are going to want to play. Yeah. Now, here's a fantasy question for you. Mm hmm. If you had the opportunity to turn any one of Stephen King's books into a movie, which book would you pick and why? I mean, it's 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 funny. I think my favorite book of his just because and a lot of this is also when I the time when I read it, the impact it had on me. But, you know, Salem's Lot is my still one of my favorite stories of his. I mean, I I loved Carrie. I, my movie Tamara was definitely definitely an homage to Carrie. Yes, um, it was. You know, so I, I de- <laughs> and that was definitely intentional. I was like, this is kind of like Carrie, but if she got her powers earlier and could spend the whole movie getting revenge on them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but Salem's Lot is one of my favorites. But, it, you know, they've already made it twice, you know, into a movie. So I, I don't know if we need a third, a third telling of it. <laughs> but, well, but I, I love mean, that movie. Look at, yeah, look at how many show. times they're redoing they redid it, which I think was a major mistake. I mean, I I watched part of the new it and I fell asleep. That's I so never funny. fall asleep during horror movies, but I fell asleep. Oh, that's fine. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I was I was kind of surprised that it got as dark as it did with with the young cast, but um, I'm kind of interested to see what they'll do with the sequel for sure. That looks like an honestly terrifying redo yeah. of the first one. I mean, it was just... Yeah. That would be my follow-up after Salem's Lot. Yeah, that Pet Cemetery scared the crap out of me when I read that. Yeah. I mean, like, right now on my TV is Mist. I just... There are some movies that I can stand and there are other movies, even though they're horror, that I won't watch because... The story sucks and it doesn't fit into the series, yeah. like with Final Destination 4. Yeah. We hope you guys are enjoying Jeffrey's podcast so far. We just wanted to take a break real quick and say thank you to a couple of our listeners at Floppy Jalopy and at Following Bliss One for being so great. Don't forget, we love to hear you guys' comments. Tag us on at Nurks of the Hub. Send us what you're thinking, send us your questions. And now back to the interview, and if only I can find my way out of this maze. Now, you have some really cool stuff coming out. What can you tell us about Down Along the Road, The Life and Times of Fulton Williams? I can tell you about the stuff that I'm kind of really heavily involved in. Um, A few of the things, mentioned Good Samaritan, which is, you know, a supernatural. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people who witness video of the witnesses gets out to the public and somebody starts killing them off. And you're not sure 
where people do kind of stand by and videotape horrible things happening, mm-hmm. but they don't help. And then I have a slasher movie called Superstition, the Roll of Threes um, that I'm really excited about. And it's it's set around that whole superstition that deaths happen in threes. So it's mm-hmm. on a, set on a college campus where two people die and then somebody starts a Deadpool on the campus for kids to join in and pick who they think is going to be the third person to die. Our lead character ends up winning the Deadpool and her friends, somebody starts going after her friends. And so it's, it's my first slasher film. So that one I'm really excited about. It's going to be a fun film for sure. Obviously, The Final Wish, which uh, just premiered at Scream Fest, will be coming out early part of 2019. And it's a really, it's kind of a gothic fairy tale. It's about a young man that played by Michael Welch, who was actually in My Day of the Dead remake. Amazing actor. Plays an attorney who comes back to his hometown to take care of his mother, played by Lynn Shea, after his father passes away. And his father was an antique dealer, along with Tony Todd. They were they owned an antique store together, and he finds an an urn that has a kind of an evil something tethered to it that starts granting his wishes. So um, that was a really, really fun movie. And it's, you know, I, I love the look of it. It's a little Suspiria looking, you know, vibrant colors. And again, it's more of a kind of a dark fairy tale. So that'll be the next film that's coming out. And yeah, I'm working on about five or six other. Yeah, films, you are. They're all in different yeah. stages of development. So, you know, well, Kind of, well, I just, I'm, I usually tell people to follow my Twitter. <laughs> um, and as soon as I know anything for sure, I'll tweet about it because, um, you know, this business, it's great, but it's also, you know, a lot of times you, it seems like a project's getting ready to go and something will happen and it gets put, you know, on hold. And then you're like, all right, well, let's focus on this next thing. Or So you never know what project's going to go next. But um, the final wish is already in the can and ready to part of 2000. Yes, and, and Bloody Disgusting is all over that. Super. Station will be shooting this year. It's going to be a two thousand. I think it's going to be a very exciting 2019. And you know, Midnight Texas is currently playing on Friday nights as well at nine o'clock on NBC. So, yeah, definitely set your set your VCRs for that if you're not watching it live. <laughs> really fun yeah, season. I I don't know who doesn't watch Midnight Texas live. Exactly. And then it's important <laughs> to say that the next day it does it, it it does hit Hulu if you're not able to watch it live. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing I'd like to know, on your list of influential movies is the original Suspiria. Yeah. Have yeah, you seen the, have you seen the new one, the remake? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I uh, you know, I and I'm very cuz I read all, a lot of reviews that were really harsh on it and um I was expecting it to go in I just was like I'm going to hate this movie. It's going to be pretentious and I actually enjoyed it. So I I was surprised. I, I don't know if it was a mixture of how much I thought I was going to hate it with all, how bad I thought it was going to be based on some of the reviews, just because the reviews were like, oh, it's very it's super pretentious and it's very symbolic. And it's, you know, the story's like not doesn't really make sense. But I don't know, like I I I was thoroughly entertained by it and disturbed by it. And I don't know, I thought it kind of even though it was kind of dark and dreary where the original one was very vibrant and colorful, like I think it still kind of kept the DNA of the original movie. Now, a lot of people, even with, I enjoyed it. even with your Final Destination movies, people still seem to put you in the indie film category. Do you feel that you're mainstream or still independent? I've definitely been in both, straddled both worlds. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the films that I've done, you know, started off being set up at studios, but ended up getting made independently, you know just by nature of the business, you know, like sometimes, you know, you get a project like my dead awake project, you know, was set up at gold circle films, but 
like a couple of weeks after it got set up, the producer that brought it in left the company. And um, so every, usually every time somebody leaves a company, they'll start a whole new, they'll kind of like put all the projects that the, that person was working on on the back burner and not do them. So I've had a lot of projects that, that kind of started off at studio, end up getting made independently. But to me, it doesn't really matter as long as the you know people that are, make it are passionate about it, you know, because you, again, it's, you know, the final destinations have always been the studio films. And, you know, I, you know, I think Good Samaritan and, and Superstitional you know, studio level. And I'm, you know, we're going to be getting a theatrical studio release for the final wish. So, you know, but I definitely have that indie spirit. I mean, that was kind of part of working at New Line is even though it was, it was basically considered a mini major studio. So it was like a studio, but it was tiny, but you know, they always kind of prided themselves on having an indie spirit and, and that gave them a chance to kind of take more risks and make movies that other people wouldn't make. So I think that you know, I've been fortunate enough where I haven't had to work under, a, you know, in a studio format where, you know, my creativity was stifled too much. You know, that's happened a couple of times, obviously, where you have to work within parameters that are given to you. But, you know, it's I, I actually enjoy the indie world because I find that you get more creative freedom in that world than you do if you're at a studio where you have 20, 20 people that have to approve every every decision you make on a project. I think yeah. that's how a lot of projects get bungled. Oh, wow. Yeah. Harrison Smith. I I don't know if you have heard of him or know who he is. He did he worked with Gunnar Hansen on Gunnar's last film that he wrote called Death House. I've heard of him. I haven't seen that movie though. It is an awesome movie. It's like they call it the Expendables of Horror. I mean oh, that's so funny. If if you can think of a horror icon, they're probably in that movie. Tony Todd's in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I have to watch that. I'm embarrassed that um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> he, he fought for so long to get it into theaters, and it's going to be released mm, next week, this week or next week, I think, on video on demand. And then in December, it's going to be released on DVD. But it was Gunnar Hansen actually wrote that, and... It's such an interesting story. Harrison Smith is pretty much the definition of independent filmmaker, but the film looks so polished, it's amazing that no studio has picked it up. And you really need to see that because it's really good. Now, his Um, name name definitely, I definitely know the name, um, and I'm probably embarrassed because I probably do know him. I just... When I when people ask me if I know people, I'm all of a sudden like, wait a minute, do I know that person? Um, <laughs> but his name is definitely familiar. So, but yeah, I definitely he, will keep an eye out for this. <laughs> he's he's been around forever. But what are your plans for your TV series, or can you tell? Um, I can't. I, the only reason I can't right now is it's it's kind of based on something that's pretty well known. So the the okay. producers have have made me kind of you know swear of an, an oath of silence. But um, if it gets if it gets picked up, there's a good chance it might get picked up before the year's out. So I'll definitely, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I hate being coy because I'm usually so honest about everything. But, yeah, for the TV stuff, there's a couple of projects where they're kind of based on stuff that, that are real things. You know, you, you kind of want to make sure nobody, you know, the guys that are kind of behind it are like, don't don't mention anything yet until it gets picked up. Yeah, I I can understand that because I know a few people who are under a gag order for the series they're working on right now. And I I can totally respect that. You are one of the few people who is insanely talented, but you're very down to earth. 
you haven't let the Hollywood stuff and the success get to you. Most of, it's funny, most of, especially in the horror community i don't most of the horror people that i know are, are like that they're i think it's probably because you know we most horror fans kind of grew up being nerds <laughs> um because mm-hmm. we were like why do you watch that weird stuff and so um i don't know i think most you know i don't know many horror filmmakers who are arrogant or you know they're, they're pretty much everyone that i know is, is really um and humble you know it's just and even the greats like again wes craven and george romero people like that you know just always really nice down-to-earth people in my opinion, this is just my opinion. I think the people in the horror industry know how hard it is to get to that point, and so they're more appreciative and more willing to help the next generation. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, they do understand the struggle a lot. I think you know, and every every filmmaker goes through it, but you know, with, with the horror industry it's like not only are you struggling to get a film made but then you're struggling to get respect for getting a film made yeah so in a genre that doesn't you know get a lot of respect still even if it still makes the most money you know most profitable genre in the world but just doesn't quite still get the respect that it deserves unfortunately no because the the people who are deciding they don't understand it i I mean, they're just like, okay, this guy's got a hockey mask on and he's killing a bunch of kids because they're having sex. Next. And that's just, I mean, I, I that's just not the way you should treat a movie, especially when people have gone to great length to bring it to you. Uh-huh. Right. And at the end of the day, that that's somebody's vision. That's somebody's dream. You know, and it, whether it be something that is in your wheelhouse or not, I get pretty upset, especially when people say, oh, you know, horror stinks or the actors aren't even any good. And, and these are movies that these people haven't even seen. So you don't know yeah. if the movie's good or if the actors are good. You know, like uh, Midnight Texas might not be in very many people's wheelhouse or a lot of people's wheelhouse, but the people who don't see it automatically want to assume that it's not good when that is not true because the casting on that show is superb and everyone on that show is believable and the two new cast members that you guys got are you know that opened up the hotel both of them are great people they've been on several different things and and uh, to me all their deliveries are believable even though you're speaking of a subject that is not real yeah. Yeah. No, we've got I mean, the, the the cast is really talented. And then, yeah, the the actor and actresses playing Kai and Patience are amazing. Um, you know, he was on Bates Motel and she's been in everything. So, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah they're, they're just really, you know, they, again, you you need people that come to the genre and treat it just as seriously as they would a dramatic movie or any kind of film. So, you know, we got really lucky with the cast this year. Now, what is. Can can you elaborate a little bit more on the um, your doc documentary that's in post production right now, Into the Dark, exploring the horror film? Uh, that was just a documentary, uh, you know, where they interviewed me just to talk about, you know, the impact that horror has had, you know, on me creatively, but also the impact that I think horror has on society. So um, they interviewed a whole bunch of filmmakers for that. So yeah, that was um I did that one a while back actually. So I'm not sure when that's going to be coming out. Yeah, you've you've got a lot of uh, if if people will go looking, you've you've got a lot of documentaries that really explores the horror show. Still kind of confused about 
the Playboy Morning Show. <laughs> oh, that was um no uh, yeah no we did a we did they had a Halloween interview they had a Halloween segment on the Playboy Morning Show and so they had me and Lisa Wilcox you know the Dream Master um, mm-hmm. from Nightmare on Elm Street and then Kelly Moroni who was in Night of the Comet and a whole bunch of other Chopping Mall and so they had us on there um, just to talk you know about projects and horror films and you know it was very it was fun to I mean you know we were just sitting on a couch talking it was. I think it's probably online somewhere, but we had a great time on the interview. And of course, when they were done, it's like all the guys were like, can we get pictures with the ladies? Like nobody, <laughs> nobody gave two craps that I was there. I'm like, fine, whatever. <laughs> but Lisa, Lisa and Kelly are, are just, they're so talented and so lovely, wonderful women um, that I've been, again, a great thing about working in the genre is you get a chance to know, you know, you get to actually meet people that you've watched and loved you know, you've loved their work and then you get to meet them. So now outside of Lynn Shave, what female horror icon would you like to see headline one of your movies? I mean, you know, I love Adrian Barbeau. So I definitely, you know, it's so funny because there's so many. I don't want to leave any of them out. But I, you know, certainly talked to Adrian Barbeau before I met her and would love to work with her. You know, obviously, Jamie Lee, who wouldn't want to work with her. You know, I some of the classic people like Karen Black, I think, is amazing. And, you know, I'd love to to work with Amy Steele, who was in Friday the 13th Part 2 and the powers of, you know, Peter Starr. Yeah. Like, I love her as an actress. Um, you know, Heather Langenkamp, obviously, you know, my favorite, my favorite final girl ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'd love to work with her and Lisa and, you know, pretty much all the all the Elm Street women would be fun to work with. And, you know, I love Danielle Harris, you know, from being in the you know, original Halloween run to Rob Zombie's Halloween. I think she's amazing. You know, there's just so many people, you know, I've gotten to work with like Brie Grant, who I adore and Jocelyn Donahue, you know, who are both two really talented actresses in the genre. And Tiffany Shepis is a scream queen that I just adore her as a person and as an actress. And I I definitely want to work with her someday. So yeah, there's some, there's some icons from that have been around, you know, from films when I was younger to kind of, you know, people like Tiffany, who I think is a, icon in her own right you know people it's so funny some some you know there's always some brat online that's saying something bratty but I, I call Jamie Lee Curtis an icon and some somebody tweeted back you know it was like you know an icon has to be like you know she's still alive and still doing stuff and she's not been around long enough to be an icon and I'm like, <laughs> oh for the love <laughs> what of you? Peter yeah like, whatever screw you <laughs> you know who I would like to see in one of your projects is, is uh Catherine Isabel Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. American Mary was awesome. She yeah, yeah. she's uh she her and Daniel Harris were only in one movie together, but I'd like to fix that and put them together again in one of your put movies. Put them in another one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I tell you what, the next time you're going to cast for a female movie, come to us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit y'all up. Y'all can help me figure out who, <laughs> who to cast. Cuz we'll like throw everybody in there, you know, and UFC pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> now, lovely podcast and this lovely chat. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been been a pleasure and um, great, you know, great way to, you know, celebrate Halloween, talking about some scary stuff and... <laughs> And hope, now, hopefully all have, your colleagues get out of that corn maze. <laughs> right. uh, they might. I might let them out. I might just seal them in. I don't know. 
Um, a trap corn maze. You like? <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Now I want to end this with you telling us about your favorite fan interaction. Um, I've had so. You mean as a, as me as a fan? <laughs> Or a fan of mine, like a fan of like, yours. Oh, um, or you could do both. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'll tell you the the most fun that I've ever because I've I got to meet I pretty much got to meet all my idols, which has been again just amazing. I haven't got to meet Stephen King yet, but that's that's one that I'll have to make happen sooner or later. But you know, working at the studio, you kind of get used to meeting actors and actresses, so getting starstruck never is just something you never really. Not that it never happens, like, but you know, like I've I've met some big people and I just know how to conduct myself around them. But um, I um, met Jane Badler, who played the um, evil alien in V, the original miniseries, and she also came back as Diana in the re- reboot of the series as well. But you know, growing up, Nightmare on Elm Street was like my biggest movie thing, mm-hmm. and V was my biggest TV thing. And I met Jane Badler maybe five years ago in California, and we went out for coffee. And I w- that was the first time I was ever starstruck. Like, I literally, I was just sitting there, and I was like, I can't even speak right now. And I was just kind of staring at her, and I'm like, she's probably thinking I'm crazy. So <laughs> I finally just had to tell her that I was starstruck, because we were kind of having a business meeting. Um, <laughs> so I finally had to tell her I was starstruck, and then after that, it, everything was cool, and she's, she was just lovely. But that was just the, that was the first time I've ever been starstruck. Like, I've, I mean, I've got to, again, meeting my idol, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so cool to meet Tony Todd and Heather Langenkamp. But the first time I was oh. ever met somebody where I couldn't talk was her, which was so funny. Because I just wasn't expecting it. Um, but I don't know. I think my favorite fan interactions, I mean, I, I don't want to pick out just one, but I think my favorite are when, you know, just when I meet young, you know, boys and girls who are like, you know, want to be writers and, and love the horror genre. And they just, you know, their friends like think they're weird or pick on them or kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Like they just don't understand why they like the genre yeah. so well. And, and to kind of, you know, you know, meet them and, and then see them kind of blossoming, you know, like, you know, when you kind of go to conventions, you know, every couple of years and you see that, see them kind of growing up and see them growing as artists, you know, I think that's, that's the favorite, that's the favorite thing for me. And, you know, and it is fun when you meet people, except when they say they were like in college, when they saw the first Final Destination and it makes you feel really old (laughs) or or they're like, I was two and I saw Final Destination. I'm like, ah, you're making me feel so old. Stop it. But, um, you know, it's, it's nice meeting fans who appreciate your work, but for me, it's more, you know, it really just touches my heart when I see people that just are inspired to be artistic. Because yeah. I think, you know, artists and the arts are kind of the thing that we kind of belittle in schools or like if they're going to cut something into school, they'll cut the arts programs before they cut sports. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that they just don't. I think art's probably one of the best ways to kind of help people like dream and uh, try to achieve stuff. And, you know, and it's something that we just don't support enough. So I think meeting fans that are inspired to write and direct and to act because of my work, you know, that's the most rewarding thing for me. Would you ever take someone under your wing the way I I called you a prodigy before, but the way that you were taken under the wing? I've definitely done it. I mean, the, the thing is like, yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely done that. It's the only difference, unfortunately, with, with kind of me and with Bob is, you know, Bob had a whole company. <laughs> like, yeah. So when I sit in work, he had people read it for him. And you know what I'm saying? And with me, it's just like me. So um, I've definitely over the years, because I, you know, read stuff, I I definitely try to read people's stuff and help them out when I can. Um, I just always have to be very careful. There's two things. One, everybody's, people don't realize a lot of times that there's a lot of ideas that go around that are very similar. 
for instance, when I sold Final Destination, like a friend of mine, I didn't know this for like five years because he was too embarrassed to tell me, but a friend of mine had actually taken a com- almost a comedy version of that same idea to New Line, um, where a guy had a premonition and cheated death, but death was stupid <laughs> and couldn't get them. And, was, and so it was a comedy. And um, when he took it to New Line, they were like, you're not going to believe this, but we literally just bought a horror version of this like four months ago or four weeks ago. So people don't understand that ideas like that go around a lot. So mm-hmm. I've had people accusing, you know, I had a, you know, a guy like accuse me of stealing, you know, Tamara, uh, you know, from his comic book. And then I, I pointed out that the whole reason that I even heard of his comic was because the publisher had read my script for Tamara and was like, oh, Jeffrey could adapt this comic book. And so, you know, then he had to go, he had to kind of like, but he'd gone online and was like publicly telling everybody that. So you always have to worry about that. Unfortunately, people with reading people's stuff. And also, you know, just there's t- the the issue of time with me because, again, I'm not a company, you know, so it's it, you know, I've had to be a lot more careful about often to read people's stuff because, you know, sometimes it'll take me like five months to get to somebody's script and then these people start getting mad at you <laughs> because you're not, it's like, I don't understand, are you ever, and it's like, dude, I'm going to read it when I can. <laughs> but I, I, I to need do. to, I need to hook you and Harrison Smith up and his favorite movie it most influential movie is Jaws, so y'all could call it the Jaws that ate Freddy. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> 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 well, I have to um, step into a meeting, ladies, but um, I really, really have had a blast talking with you all. Technology um, be damned. I know. Despite, <laughs> this, despite technology's best efforts to muck this up, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yes. well, you were a real pleasure, so thank you so very much. Oh, awesome. Yes, yeah, we got to make this an you. annual. We'll do this. We'll make this a Halloween thing. Yes. Oh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> you just listened to the podcast Nerds of the Hub, produced, recorded, and edited by the TV Series Hub team. If you want to read TV and film-related articles, reviews, and more, go to www.tvserieshub.tv. Also, follow us on Twitter and check our Facebook page, both at TV Series Hub. Send us a message. No, proudly.